and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the wear and tear edition. My name is Brent Whitmire, I'm an editorial and features writer, and I'm here in the Journal Newsroom studio on Friday the 13th of November. It's been half a year now since Alberta voters tossed out the Tories, upsetting the natural order of things and promising a new day in Alberta politics. Things are completely different, except when they're not. Oil is still in the doldrums as climate talks heat up. There's been criticism over cronyism, and a new poll this week has the NDP at a statistical dead heat with the wild rose. We'll talk about that, plus local and national agencies get into gear to bring in 25,000 Syrian refugees. As always in the press gallery, I promise, no matter what, we'll keep the machine well-oiled and running. Here in the studio, before they've been too roughed up, we have city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Brent Whitmire. Provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. And provincial affairs reporter Jody Cinema. Hi. You all look fantastic. Uh, the name of this week's podcast is a reference to Insight pollster Mario Canseco's comments about the NDP's disappearing lead. Uh, six months after they won on May 5th, uh, they won nearly 41% of the vote. Only 27% now say uh, Rachel Notley's government has been doing a good job. Uh, Canseco said this is normal wear and tear for a party governing in difficult economic times. It could certainly be worse. Uh, were you at all surprised? No, I would say no. I think he's right. It is wear and tear, especially with the economy doing so badly. Um, and don't forget the, the election results back in May, the NDP won 40.6% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So they're starting at less than the majority. And any given day, most Albertans don't like the NDP. So they're starting out at a disadvantage. And I'd agree, things are not going well because of the economy, the price of oil. And um, you've got this relentless drumbeat up from the wild rose saying the NDP are, is making things worse. Right, but I think we have to remember the NDP is still in first place here. So, yes, they're out of the honeymoon period. It's been six months, but they're not jumping aboard with the wild rose saying that Alberta is the cause of the oil prices slumping. And mm. that's the reason why all our, all our jobs are being lost. But I think... Two people saw the budget, and they're willing to give the NDP some slack. They don't want to see teachers and doctors and nurses laid off. But at the same time, at some point, we're going to have to find more money to pay for everything. And I think people are thinking, okay, we're going to give the NDP a bit more time. They have to figure this out. But oil prices are not going back up, and the NDP has a very rosy sort of view of what those prices will be that don't necessarily match what the, the economists out there say. Yeah, it was interesting. I was at uh, the Premier's State of the Province address last week. Right. Uh, now, now, that's before a business crowd. It's the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce. But Edmonton voted a straight NDP ticket in the last provincial election. And it was interesting. It's not like Notley got a rough ride from that audience, but she got sort of a partial standing ovation. And she got <laughs> a few interruptions of applause. I mean, it's not... The mood in the room wasn't what it would have been, you know, had they had that event six weeks after her election. I mean, I remember the mood in, you know, in front of the legislature. That honeymoon phase can't last forever. It is a natural, cyclical thing. But I think the other thing that's very, very telling about that poll is that there's still, you know, the, the top choice for Albertans. And certainly, it's not like there's been a big rebound of nostalgia for the progressive conservatives. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know that the, the overall narrative has changed. But they've also given their critics some pretty decent ammunition in a few more than a few times. Uh, Graham, you wrote earlier this week about Bob Hawksworth, uh, the recent loser in the by-election for Jim Prentice's seat. He was uh, given a little bit of a soft landing on Saturday. Was this a big blunder? Yeah, he was. Um, he's now the executive director of the Premier's Southern Alberta office at McDougal Centre in Calgary. And they announced this on Saturday morning in a news release 
three paragraphs long, it's actually four sentences long, before a constituency break. They did it in a typical thing. You're trying to hide something. You do it Friday afternoon before a long weekend. They did it on a Saturday morning before a, a, a week that had a break. You know, you could argue that Bob Hawksworth is well-respected. You know, he's got experience. He was a two-term uh, MLA for the NDP back in the day in the 80s. He's an alderman from Calgary. He knows the city. You could argue he's experienced. He's a former politician. He knows what's going on. But also, you could argue this is cronyism. (laughs) This is the NDP, the government, the premier, giving a reward to Bob Hawksworth, who, as you mentioned, uh, lost the by-election in Calgary football. And I think that's key. I mean, the voters did not choose Bob Hawksworth. Then Rachel Notley comes and chooses him to put him in the th- into this office. And you have, you go back in history, you'll see, um, and the Wild Rose helpfully dug up some quotes from <laughs> the <laughs> Premier, who when she was back in uh, opposition, attacking the PCs for doing the very same thing. Someone loses an election, and they give him a government job, a soft landing, and she's done the very same thing with Bob Hawksworth, and they did it on a, like a week-long break. They announced it on Saturday morning that the media is not around the legislature, and it's almost like they're trying to hide it. I talked to them about that. They said, no, no, the reason it was delayed was because they're trying to get away for uh, Hawksworth to not collect his MLA pension. Um, hmm. While he's working for the government, he won't be taking a pension. They said it took a while to get that figured out. It wasn't until Friday afternoon they figured out how to do it, and then they announced it on Saturday morning. He was taking a job in you Calgary. Sh- you know, it's jobs for the boys. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely standard practice for every political party in every democracy. This is what happens, uh, sadly. I mean, the New Democrats, though, have a problem because they created for themselves the narrative of being the party that would do things differently, a party that would be fresh, that wouldn't default to this kind of standard practice, which you know, political parties across the spectrum around the world do. It was Notley herself who set the expectations that they would do things differently and that she should be judged to the higher standard that she set for herself. And so, you know, you could argue, well, the point of changing governments every so often is that you get a different set of cronies (laughs) uh, instead of 44 years of the same cronies. But I don't think that was quite the change Albertans had in mind. I'm curious how much of the public was paying attention to this? How many of them know who Bob Hawksworth is Mm -hmm. or care that it was announced on a Saturday morning? I mean, I think in general, any time they would have announced this, it would have been sort of bad news. I guess it's the way, yes, we have to monitor how they're doing it, when they're doing it. It doesn't look good that it happened on a Saturday morning, but if it had happened on a Monday morning or a Wednesday morning, would it have made that much difference to the public? It to, might, it might have had, this position is not... I mean, they didn't, they oh, didn't, no, they didn't make enough. him king of the popes. Oh, no, <laughs> um, fair enough. But you know, it'd still, it'd make it look worse if there'd be more stories about it reminding the, the uh, public... This is like one more drip. If you're going to, you know, be, this yes. could be the NDP. They keep on doing this becomes a problem. That's and, the key. This is just one, but you have to and, monitor it because it and could. Paula, and Paula, sorry, Paula's right. Also, this comes after they made up boo-boo last week about the fundraiser. Yeah. Yes. Right? Uh, this was when they were putting out a notice to people to say, spend $250, come to a fundraiser, meet the premier, the MLAs, and cabinet ministers. You're not supposed to do that. So, so they, they did it. They defended it at first, and then they realized, oh, this is actually wrong. Then they reversed it and said, just come on out and meet the, uh, Rachel Notley and her team because you can't be selling access to, to cabinet ministers. But well, these things can add up to, make, to keep making these mistakes, especially 
again, what Paula mentioned, if they're in opposition for years saying we will do things differently and better and be more open, accessible, and we'll be more democratic and ethical. Yeah. And they start doing things the very same way. And even when they're told by their critics this is wrong, they initially try and defend it. Then after a day, they apologize and try and change it. See, things. and I just don't know who's giving them advice in the political offices, right? Because I don't think that Rachel Notley turned into a different person overnight. I don't think Brian Mason turned into a different person overnight. I think that the apparatchiks that they that are giving them advice and managing these issues are doing an extraordinarily poor job of it. I mean, and it may be... You know, they had difficulty staffing those positions, and they brought in uh, people from other provinces. They brought in people who didn't know Alberta. They brought in people who, frankly, didn't know the narrative mm -hmm. that Mason and Notley had spun. And, you know, it may be that six months in and 12 months in, they need to look at who's handling media, at who's handling media strategy, and think, you know, maybe bringing in hired guns who use the same old tricks as everybody else is not serving us well. Hmm. Uh, Jody, you, you wrote this last week, actually. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but about plans to, to expand the province's sunshine list, uh, salary disclosures of public servants, and also the so-called ABC review, looking at agencies, boards, and commissions. Um, do you think this kind of could potentially uh, offset this kind of narrative? Well, I'm doing a follow-up story in regards to that sunshine list today about how useful is it? Mm -hmm. So the province previously released um, government employee salaries. If you make more than $104,000 a year, they re reported that. This new category, people who make higher salaries, it will include doctors, it will include nurses who potentially work overtime. It includes professors. So there's a huge whack of more people who will be on this list. I spoke with a couple academics from Ontario yesterday who said, in general, when this information is released, people become envious. They go and look on those forms. They find the names of their friends. They see how much they're making or colleagues, and they will then lobby for a higher salary. So it actually jacks up costs. Now, the governments won't say, hey, we're doing this to save money. But so that they're saying, you know, we're being more transparent. And in some sense, yes, they're being more transparent. But it allows people to go in there and sort of be voyeurs you got to ask yourself, how useful is it to know how much your chemistry professor is making or your doctor when there are no explanations about how many hours they worked, what their experience is? Yes, the government is being transparent, but I think as a public, we have to ask, is this useful information? Will it, will it help us understand how government is working mm -hmm. and spending our money? There's some questions out, out or, there about it. Or, you know, does it set up a kind of a witch hunt? I mean, we're journalists. <laughs> I don't make $100,000 a year. You don't make $100,000 a year. The odds that I'll ever make $104,000 a year are probably pretty slim. But in, in point of fact, lots of people in Alberta make $100,000 a year. That doesn't make you rich. Mm -hmm. It makes you, you know, upper middle class. It, it's not a crazy amount of money. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, if that's the cutoff, I mean, there are going to be all kinds of, you know, fairly regular people paying their bills who are suddenly going to have their salaries outed at a certain point it does seem petty and it does seem as Jody says you know I mean it it, it inspires all kinds of deadly sins no I'd, I agree I've always thought that this sort of um, obsession with how much do politicians make or people make in the public service on the public sector uh, there is an unseemly nature to it it is sort of putting people in the stocks and then you know throwing things at them 
and it's sort of, to me, sort of the Americanization of our politics, you know, fixed election dates, uh, term limits for politicians, because they all make too much money and lower taxes. This sort of plays into that narrative. What they could do is say, here is a, a general range, professors make this much. Don't yeah. name people, just say, you know, generally they make this much money, um, so you can, there is some transparency there. But to actually name people and put their salary there, I think it, it does smack of being unfair. It's interesting how the NDP, you know, has sort of fallen into the same sort of um, narrative that they've got from the right wingers. Well, and the Ontario academics that I spoke with said it's easy hanging fruit. So you say you're going to be transparent, yeah. you release it all, it's like a data dump, and then NDP can say, look, we released all this information, isn't it great? Taxpayers know where their money is going. But it's easy, is it useful is the question. Professors aren't necessarily in charge of how much they're making. It's based on sort of a formula, and the unions are working for them. They can't go in there and save money, the government. I guess part of their review, the ABC review, which is what you mentioned, is looking at agencies, boards, and commissions, and there's about 300 or more in the province. Uh, some of them are decades old, and I'm not even sure exactly what a lot of them do. So this <laughs> I'm is not like, sure they are either. Uh, the Horace Racing Commission, the Alberta Energy Regulator, the Liquor Commission... They're, the province is going to be looking at these because they take up almost half of the budget. So they're going to review those. So it'll be interesting to see how much money is funneled into all of these boards that are that are out there, I think. I mean, you know, the ones Jody named are the more prominent ones. It's it's all the other ones when you go down the list and you think, we have a commission for, for that? And it's interesting because this will be something where I think the Wild Rose and the NDP will again make common cause. I mean, the, this has been an issue for the Wild Rose for, for months now to do something about cutting back on, on ABCs and, and streamlining them. This might be one where something actually happens because both the government and the opposition have a similar point of view about about uh, the efficacy of all of these boards. And the review actually began under Prentice. Yes, uh, ironically. ironically. Yeah. Well, no, the review was supposed to start under Prentice. It was delayed, he, yes. nothing really happened. Well, and then, Yeah, he ordered it. But um, nobody knows what happened with it. It just sort of <laughs> faltered yes. out there. And then there was the election. Right. And then Rachel Notley, everybody presumed that the review was ongoing, and it wasn't. So it's just been launched now, and it's going to take, you know, about a year to go through it all. Hmm. Um, speaking of sort of transparency, uh, we have uh, Wild Rose will have its own uh, general meeting today, starting today. It's the first one since the spring election. And as our Calgary Herald colleague Don Braid notes, it will be the most secretive party convention in recent memory, with only one speech available to the media and no policy sessions uh, up for grabs. How do you think Brian Jean and his party have performed so far, and is this sort of kind of a counter to their narrative of, of transparency? Yeah, I asked him about that, and Vitor Marciano, who's the, um, the, the main press person for the uh, spokesperson for the party, said, we're under a new management. Mm-hmm. That was the reason they gave for shutting down the, the convention to the media this weekend. But yeah, the old narrative under uh, Daniel Smith is that we're open, come on in media, we'll talk to you. That's because the PCs back then were shutting their conventions to the media, and so the Wild Rose wanted to be something different. I think what they're trying to do here with the Wild Rose is they're trying to get people behind the doors to actually open up and actually be honest what what their plans are, where they want to go. Because in a sense, it's still a party that's being rebuilt. This party's gone through a lot in the last year with that floor crossing, which gutted the party. It is interesting, though, if, if they do this, if they continue to do this in the next convention, if they continue to be closed doors, then it does send a message, a different message to the public. Uh, overall, they, they have performed relatively well. They're trying not to be as angry. You know, they used to be team angry mm-hmm. under uh, Danielle Smith, and even now she's tweeting 
the conservatives can't be angry all the time. You've got to, to show you actually have a positive vision. And we saw elec- two election campaigns where the angry conservatives lost both elections to a more uh, upbeat, progressive vision. And it's interesting, in the legislature, when there's question period, Brian Jean always uh, introduces his question and says, I'm trying to help you, NDP. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm being helpful. That's why I'm raising these issues. So he's trying to be more collegial there as well. I mean, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. The conservatives in Alberta have really had a crisis kind of year. And so I, I suspect that there will be a lot of people at this Wildrose convention who are also members of the Conservative Party federally who feel like they've been kicked in the teeth. I, I It would be fascinating to be behind the scenes. And oh, to people, be a fly on the wall. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. I bet there's going to be a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. The thing about these conventions, though, things don't stay secret. You know, people who are in a convention can talk to the media. I've even heard of people giving a delegate a tape recorder to record things, they, these things happen. So, you know, things that happen behind closed doors are not top secret. This is not uh, the Pentagon. Uh, <laughs> whatever happens in there will leak out, especially if it's controversial, it's going to leak out to the media. There, there may have been uh, some normal wear and tear, but we have yet to visit Paris uh, later this month. We'll Rachel always Notley. have Paris. We'll always have Paris. Or at least we will for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Rachel Notley will visit climate change talks. And yesterday she told the Broadbent Institute that coal is in her sights. Could this further divide this province while oil prices are low and the economy already struggling? I don't think it's going to um, divide the province. You already have uh, two different parties yeah. uh, fighting over this. So you got Wild Rose, who doesn't really talk about climate change at all. You've got the NDP focused on climate change, focused on going to Paris. The Wild Rose tends to ignore the topic completely. You have two narratives now in the province that are very, it's a dichotomy in politics now. It's a very clear split between the Wild Rose jobs, 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 lower your taxes, and the NDP saying a big issue here is climate change, and we'll get jobs somehow. We'll raise taxes if we have to. Well, and it wasn't, inter- I think it was last week or the week before when Brian Jean said, why is Rachel Notley going to Paris when all these people here in Alberta are losing their jobs? She should be staying here and focusing on our local economy. But obviously, people here in Alberta voted for Rachel Notley and I think a lot of them support doing some work on climate change. Obviously, this is a huge issue that she says she has to be involved with. Um, it's being led by our new Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. So you see the two two views. How important is Paris? Obviously, it's important not just for the world, but for Alberta as well. But there is, I think, a more serious economic question here. Mm-hmm. I mean, coal no one likes to talk about coal because coal is dirty in every way. But this province runs on coal. I mean, we're sitting in a studio here, and the lights are on, and the recorders are rolling, and that is all powered by coal. So this is the problem for the world, is that coal is the cheapest way of producing power, which is why India and China keep building coal plants. Because when you go to another source of, if it's green energy, it's a lot more expensive. And as that transition is going to be expensive. And uh, in Alberta, um, even though uh, Paul is right, over half our power is produced by coal, switching it over to natural gas, natural gas can go up in price. <laughs> I think this illustrates the bigger problem in Alberta. People want work done on climate change. People want more money to be spent on education and hospitals. But then when it comes to them saying, oh, I might actually have to pay more taxes to keep the class sizes down and have access to hospitals, they're not quite willing to do that. So there's this this disconnect. How are, How is Alberta going to pay for these things? Um, and will Albertans go along with it? I think there is a consensus opinion now that melting the ice caps is a very, very bad thing. But what we're all prepared to do personally to you know, stop that is... 
Not, well, not so much. Well, maybe tide water will come to us. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness. Uh, switching to another topic just very quickly, um, the, the federal liberal parties promised to bring in 25,000 Syrians by December 31st. It's a goal some have seen as reckless, others have applauded it as ambitious. In Edmonton, that just might mean we triple our annual number of refugees in just six weeks. What's your sense about this? Is this uh, this first big test for Justin Trudeau's government? Is this I, a- I would say it's morally ambitious and politically reckless, hmm. um, to use your two words that you yeah. put out there. I think it was, it was a great idea during the election campaign. Trudeau did set himself apart from the conservatives on this issue. Uh, the problem is the practicalities of it. The thing is, you know, we still take in about 13 or thousand or so refugees a year, and we're taking 25,000 more. And if we don't meet the target by a, a month or two, well, that, no, that's not a big deal. But of course, Trudeau's going to be attacked by his critics as saying he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he's in over his head. His uh, promises are starting to be broken already. Which is completely ridiculous. I mean, if we don't get people here until February, I mean, I think it means the end of the year. It doesn't mean that refugees turn into pumpkins on New Year's <laughs> Eve. I mean, uh, I mean, getting people here, transitioning them, finding housing, getting the kids registered in schools, getting people health care. I mean, this is going to take time and you want to do it properly. You don't want to just bring in the first 25,000 people and, you know, plunk them down. That's not And gonna, it, it requires a huge amount from communities, from Edmonton. So Edmontonians are going to have to step up to the plate. So how do you teach refugees coming in how to take the bus, how to register their kids? for school. I think we have a template for this in Canada. This is not the first time we've done this. We have the people in Edmonton who have the experience. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. Angela Merkel has coined a phrase there. I think I think it's a common German expression, but she's been using it. Um, we will manage. It's sort of the German equivalent of keep calm and carry on. It's like, you know, this is not going to be easy, but we will just handle it. And, and Germany's I, taking in 800,000? Yeah. And, you know. and we're taking 25,000. So, yeah. you know, we will manage. So it's time for good stuff from the gallery. Every week we share something we've enjoyed, often but not always with a political connection. Paula? Well, I will segue nicely because my piece is by Shannon Gormley from McLean's, and it's a piece about Sweden. I think they've taken Mm 190,000. And Sweden, which is a pretty monocultural country, it's a challenge. And so it's a piece called Cold Comfort, uh, The Trials of Sweden's Syrian Refugees. And it talks about some of the difficulties Sweden is having uh, living up to this very noble target that they've had for Syrians who are suddenly finding themselves in, you know, ski lodges at the Arctic Circle, how that's working out for them. Graham. Uh, Speaking of refugees, uh, in today's paper, in our A15 Friday's paper, oops, there's a... This is um, the sound of Graham crackling the paper. Paper, yeah, there we go. See? Actually, you know, I like that sound. I'm (laughs) old-fashioned. I like the actual tactile feel of... And the smell of newspaper in the morning. The ink on his fingers. This is an editorial op-ed written by Peter Scholler. He's an expert on... um, on refugees. Canadians can rise to the refugee challenge. The deadline is difficult, but we should try to meet it. Actually, I met him in Beirut two years ago. I was doing stories on right. refugees, and he was there helping out the UN. I, I saw firsthand the conditions that refugees were living under, and they are absolutely abysmal conditions. Mm-hmm. So they're living in really um, run-down, ramshackle tents, if they're lucky, or living in the basement or in garages. They're living in some horrible conditions. And I think it's, it's great for Canada to take at least 25,000 people. Mm. Jody, Given that it was Remembrance Day this week, um, I would recommend uh, an investigation by Renata D'Aliezio. She was our former colleague here at the Journal. Now she works for the Globe and Mail. And she looked into how many 
soldiers coming back from Afghanistan have committed suicide. And the, the government uh, doesn't typically track them. So a lot of the soldiers, they're released from the military, um, and there's all sorts of mental health issues. And so many of them have committed suicide, and there's been lack of mental health resources for them. Yeah, I think it, the count was 59 is where it, Yes, it, it started at 54, and more and more people are coming forward saying, hey, my son or my daughter or... Father, father committed yeah. suicide it's, it's a it's a very very powerful piece of work hmm. uh, my good stuff from the gallery this week comes from the new yorker are polls ruining democracy jill lapore looks at donald trump and some of the issues including data science public opinion polling is the child of a strained marriage between the press and the academy uh is it making us by extension this podcast manic and undemocratic learn yourself <laughs> Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or on the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show pops up most Friday afternoons and can be retrieved via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and the Edmonton Journal website. We're all on Twitter. You should also check out the Journal's Facebook page. Thank you, Paula, Graham, and Jody, for joining me in the newsroom studio. Tune in next time when we'll discuss easy repair for wear and tear. Uh, (laughs) That's all for now from the Press Gallery. Thanks for listening.